Welcome to the third episode of Kicking Cancer Into Touch. My name is Kieran Bracken, former England rugby player, and this story is not about me, it's about my little sister Louise Bracken-Smith, who was diagnosed with cervical cancer some time ago. She had the treatment, she's been in remission, and then unfortunately it's come back. And this is a story of basically about her trials and tribulations of fighting cancer. Um, first, I think we finished the last episode, Louise, um, and you were due for a scan. So can you just give us an update of where we're at with that? Have you had the results? Are they good? Are they bad? Are you nervous about them? Yeah, I had the scan on Friday, CT scan in Jersey. Um, I always underestimate it because I um, dread the whole needle situation, but um, they had to put um, a contrast in and you have to leave your hands above your head and then they put you on a bed and you know, you go in and out of this um, scanner and um, it didn't take very long, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I am a bit um, nervous about the results today. Um, as I explained last time, the immunotherapy could affect um, the readings of the actual tumours, could make them bigger. Um, so I've got to be prepared for that. You know, mentally, I'm hoping that everything's going to be going in the right direction because my bloods have shown a huge um reduction so I'm, I'm secretly hoping everything's going to be good but I'm slightly worried you know that a it could have spread anywhere else and b um that the immunotherapy might confuse the results so yeah it's, it's at three o'clock today so three o'clock today you're going to find out and I suppose you're expecting um the fact that it might be slightly worse but you but the great thing is you, you're almost becoming your own doctor because you're actually reading your own blood counts and and which is amazing really yeah, and I think, you, you you know, you get to the point where you have no choice. I mean, when you go in and you have your chemo treatment, um, they do the blood test the day before or the morning of, and they then decide, are your white blood cells at the right level? Is everything at the right level to give you the treatment? Um, and then they obviously look at them and they decide that they're going to go ahead with the treatment, but they don't actually share them with you. They don't give them to you, so you have to ask. So, um, yeah, I was quite surprised last time when they gave me the blood count at the list and then they they failed to give me the tumor markers so I had to specifically say can I have my CA125 and my CEA please um to which they obliged but obviously you know I'm having a secret jubilation that they're going in the right direction but none of the none of the direct doctors or nurses are sort of celebrating along with me but um do you think do you think like most patients would ask for those or would they just kind of pass it over and say i'm just going to be told what to do um and just wait for the good news and bad news are you very inquisitive now because you kind of you, you know you want to understand it and you want to sort of get yourself better as well if that makes sense do you think you're one do you think you're one of many or do you think most people just go the other way which i imagine what i would be it would be like look i do just don't want to know just you know tell me when the time's right yeah i think one when i had went through the whole um cancer treatment last time you know I, I was very ill but like you say we had the whole team team Bracken Bracken Smith on the case so um when I came out of a meeting everyone was like what are your blood's doing and so it was it became sort of natural that we kept asking for them but I would say the majority of people don't actually ask them and just accept that whatever treatment they're going to get is going to be the right the right treatment for them and the other interesting thing about that is that when I was sort of um had my last scan which was December um, I was sort of, I, I had continued to go to my GP and um, he was continuing to look at my bloods with me. And last December, we identified that I had a ferritin level. Ferritin is what carries the iron around in your body, um, which was quite unusual for me because I'd had a very, very low iron level 
uh, during treatment in 21. And so this ferritin level was sort of progressively becoming slightly higher and higher. And at Christmas time, it hit the 400s. And so my GP, this is before I knew anything was wrong, um, he was pushing to get it checked out. So I continued my consultant in London in the March and everyone's sort of conclusion was that the ferritin levels was a bit of an anomaly, don't worry about it, a bit of a hangover from the four blood transfusions that I'd had and an iron transfusion I'd had during my treatment. Um, And I'd kind of accepted that as an explanation, but um, now on reflection, ferritin is a cancer marker, can be a cancer marker. It's now rocketed to over 1,100. Um, I've had one consultation with a, a haematologist in Jersey who's explained that it is still a bit of a byproduct about the treatment I'm having. Um, but again, I'm sort of want to explore that a bit further and I'm getting a second opinion just on the blood level. So as you say, you know, I'm not obviously not becoming my own doctor, but I'm just not accepting the information that I'm given, uh, you know, without challenge. So, um, yeah, I'm exploring the ferritin levels. But that's really hard. And and, and I think one of the things to, to highlight, I think when we started off the first podcast, you just said that you felt a bit let down. And I think probably need to clarify that, there's been a lot of people who've done a lot of great work with you and, you know, the, 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 Mar- the Royal Marsden and the, the sort of general treatment has been amazing. The hospitals have been amazing. And, and, and I guess really it's about the sort of the understanding of what you're going through, which is important. And I think you did say in the first podcast, you, you know, if you can help just one person. And, and I think, you know, we should sort of like probably just give the doctor too much power instead of in a way becoming on a you know our own doctor patient and, and what you're doing is amazing and you're learning all of the time so I just want to get a, a, a sort of handle on that what you what you are doing which let's just imagine you didn't question anything anyone told you in the last year or two what is it that you've learned that you're now sort of doing differently that probably wouldn't be on the treatment plan so just for those sort of going through something similar might you know have a look at and to see what they can do as well. Well, the real game changer for me was Jane McClellan's book, How to Starve Cancer. A few people showed me, um, you know, were sort of indicating that I should read the book. And I obviously read the book. I did her online program. And um, that led me to Care Oncology, who are in Harley Street. And the amazing thing there is that um, Jane's story is that she went through cervical cancer herself in the 1990s. Say a similar story, had the treatment um, and then had a reoccurrence, you know, completely trusted in the in the doctors what they told her, but and, and was very shocked like me to have a reoccurrence. Um, so she amazingly, I mean, absolutely just incredible lady went into the science of why, why you get cancer and how the cancer cells grow. She discovered um, through lots of research that sugars, fats and protein are the way that the cancer feeds. And she discovered that by taking drugs for other illnesses um, could could help her. So she managed to find some doctors to prescribe these drugs for her. I mean, incredible at the time. Um, and we're very, very, very fortunate now that Care Oncology exists. And, you know, they are actually prescribing drugs for people like me, patients like me. So I got straight onto them, had a consultation with them and uh, was prescribed a very similar set of drugs to her concoction metformin, mebendazole, and um, atvastatin. So the atvastatin is actually a diabetic drug, and that's to stop the cholesterol getting into my cells. The other drug is a tapeworm drug, which should attack any parasites or viruses within my body, all just basically just to stop the cells, you know, being able to metastasize and, and grow. So to me, it makes an awful lot of sense. But I obviously went um, 
to my oncologist and explained that I was quite keen to follow this drug regime to which they pleaded with me not to, said there was absolutely no science behind um, the protocol and uh, they really, really did not support it and I'd basically be on my own if, if I took it. That leaves you pretty vulnerable. Um, And and I remember sitting at the house here and I think I'd just had my second round of um, chemo and it was kind of, you know, do I take it or do I not? But I think if you're in my situation and, you you know, you're told you're in an incurable, you know, the chemo is not going to cure it, then you you don't really have a choice. So I literally sat in the garden and thought, right, this is it. Today's the day. And I literally started taking them. And there's been absolutely no side effects that I know about. It was interesting then when I went back to my the oncologist and said look my ferritin levels have risen and you know I just need a bit of advice and um, my oncologist was away and the feedback was oh now now you're taking other um, drugs we're not sure we can help you so because they didn't think that it would work or that it was safe to do so they sort of almost turned against you is that right it's that it sounds like there's a bit of a conflict yeah they sort of the, the feedback was look if you're if you're ta- now you're taking these other drugs we we aren't in a position to help you because you're not just having the chemo we can't help you with the side effects but the ferritin level has been an issue since pro- you know a whole six or seven months and now we're at a critical stage where it's over the 1000 mark um and uh, I, I was hoping to get a bit bit more reassurance they they did then um, send me to the hematologist but um you know as part of that story then the care oncology, and this is why I'm kind of stumbling across this information all the time. They then put me in touch with um, a functional doctor who's dedicated her life. She's an actual qualified doctor, but she's dedicated it to cancer patients. And so she is trying to heal the whole person. You know, the best analogy I can I can give you is that um, in one of the books I've read recently was explaining that cancer's like damp in the basement room of your house. What happens is the oncologist comes and, and gives you the chemotherapy, which is like the um, the detol to actually scrub the room and make it look actually perfect and white. And there's, there's absolutely no signs of any mould at all. But obviously you leave that and obviously the mould grows back. You know, you've disinfected the room. It looks perfect. The scans look great. But actually the reality is you haven't got back to the root cause of why you're getting the damp. You know, you need to get to the actual reason why it's coming back and if you don't do that well it's going to come back so I I kind of relate to that analogy and um, so it's taken me down this path of this functional medicine doctor um, Dr Tavakoli who's been absolutely amazing and she's given me a list of supplements that are pages long I mean there's there must be 50 supplements that have been recommended mostly ones that have been explained in Jane McClellan's book uh, Berberine, Quercetine, um, turmeric, um, curcumin, uh, vitamin D, all the ones that, you know, that you've probably heard of, but there are lots more that you've never heard of, um, milk thistle and um, all sorts of others that um, that I'm now taking as part of my daily routine. Um, it, it's pretty it's pretty ridiculous leaving the house, you know, that the bag is, you know, ginormous. But I certainly feel that a combination of the um, drugs that I'm taking, um, the three drugs that I'm taking, the supplements that I'm taking and like you've referred to all of the there's lots of other complementary therapies that I'm also doing that are highly recommended that just aren't talked about when you go and see your oncologist they're just not um just not even referred to you know I mean you keep sending me emails Louise um telling me what I should and shouldn't eat and I, I remember receiving one email when it was at the weekend I was drinking a beer and I had a curry, a lamb curry as well. And you were basically saying no sugar, no fat, 
And then you sent another email saying, by the way, do you mind me sending this? And I haven't replied. So the answer is, uh, yes, I do mind you sending <laughs> on a constant basis, how, you know, how sort of how bad my diet is. But, you know, it's interesting, you know, you've changed your diet now because you've got this disease, but you kind of like just assume you won't and everything be all right. And sometimes it's too late. But I'm interested. So I remember when you went back to the Marsden and you saw some of the um, the doctors there. And one of your first questions, because you felt like you, you were blaming yourself for getting sick again. And you, you turned around and said, you know, I've, I've been drinking a bit of alcohol. I've been I've been having a great time. I've been eating what I want. Has that affected you know, my chances. And she said, Louise, no matter what you did, this was coming back. But for some reason, you haven't taken that as gospel truth. You've sort of decided that maybe she's not right. And maybe actually, you know, the food that you put in your body that you feed yourself will actually help cure you as well. So that's, is that, am I right in saying that's where you're at? Yeah. I'm, when it, when it happened the first time around, um, I mean, I, everybody kind of sent me lots of information about do's and don'ts. And you know, my sister and my mum were kind of nursing me just back to some sort of level of consciousness. So I was kind of just getting food in was the majority, was the priority. And I remember, you know, I literally was eating Doritos in the middle of the night if I was hungry. But I had made the decision at that point to give up fish, which um, which I think was a good move, and also sugar. So in that whole year of 21, I didn't go back to those things. And obviously, when it comes to this stage, and like you said, I said to the doctor, you know, what about diet? And she said, oh, you know, it makes absolutely no difference. Um, and like you say, I, I sort of can't believe that that's true. I've subsequently learned that, you know, um, the doctors get a kind of week of nutrition course and they just obviously that's somebody else's domain. So um, to be fair to them, it's not their area of expertise. But I, I started obviously reading a lot of information and um, in desperation, as soon as I'd realised and hadn't had the biopsy, I went mad juicing, you know, the carrot and ginger and was reading the whole Gerson therapy, which is effectively designed for, well, well originated um, to help people with uh, melanoma cancer and has been really effective and is, is quite big in Mexico. Um, so I was juicing virtually all day and uh, you know this is this is prior to finding out what what I was what I was doing and at the same time I was reading Jane McClellan's book and she was very pro fish obviously very um, anti meat but pro fish um, but very anti potatoes you know she she felt that they're part of the nightshade family you know don't eat potatoes and given that we're ultimately you know um Irish stock that you know we love our potatoes I just beca- I just found it was just all a bit of a minefield I'd read something else and it would say that fruit's got too much sugar in it don't eat fruit so I was almost kind of not even eating and then every person that I met has kind of referred me to somebody else so the quantum clinic then referred me to a number of dietitians and um, I was fortunate enough to meet Rahini who um, kind of went through my diet um, and me thinking it was quite good you know there's no sugar in it there's no meat and quite quickly she was like there are so many ways to help you and by the way the answer is it's a whole food based diet so it's all vegetables all fruits and eat as much as you can, as much greens as you can. Um, you know, have a smoothie in the morning, pack it full of greens. It's as basic as that. But, you know, don't be frightened of the fruits. Don't be frightened of potato. It is good. Uh, but she did put me off oils. Um, you know, we would soak our roast on a Sunday with gallons and gallons of oil. And she was very anti that because obviously the cancer um, feeds on feeds on the fats. So, um, she's definitely educated me in a way. Um, and I think, you know, what's really disappointing is that you go to the hospital and it's like, would you like a biscuit? Would you like, would you like cake? Would you, here's lunch, it's sandwiches and crisps. And it's, you know, it's, it boggles the mind really. I mean, 
how can the basics of what you need, you know, even if you just had a whole bowl of fruit out there for people to eat and snack on all day would be beneficial, but it seems to be um, not on the agenda. So it does sadden me a bit. Are the specialists at the Royal Mars and just think that's all a bit of a fad? Is, is, is that your opinion of what they all think that you're doing? Well, I've spoken to um, the oncologist here in Jersey and just suggested, look, what do you think of vitamin C? What do you think of mistletoe? And they're sort of not this, all this integrative medicine and complementary therapies isn't, isn't their specialty, but they always come back with a stock response, which is there is no scientific evidence that it's, it helps. So they say, look, if you clean up your diet, obviously you're going to feel better. So yeah, you know, if, 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 if that means no meat, then don't eat meat. So you know, the one thing they're all unanimous on, and I don't mean the oncologists are, it's no meat, no sugar, no dairy, no eggs. So that's what I would say about the diet. Um, but, but yeah, back to the treatment I am now having. Um, I've started flying over to have uh, vitamin C infusions. Ideally, it's three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and mistletoe injections. And I think because I'm doing so many things at once, it's hard to know what's actually working. But I think the vitamin C, the science behind the vitamin C is that it basically boosts your immune system and that's what I need on my side I need my immune system working to the best of its ability so that in the fight against the cancer it can it can just it can do its best and the same with the mistletoe therapy and to my horror she started explaining to me how to inject myself and I'm a bit of a needlephobe anyway and I was sort of saying you know why are you asking me to do this she said well this is a two-year protocol you are going to be, when I know how much you can tolerate and I will react at some point in one of the, over the three weeks to the mistletoe and she'll measure the diameter of this, of the um, reaction and that will determine how much mistletoe therapy I can have. And then she'll prescribe me mistletoe to inject myself. Have you got a bit better with it now, Louise? <laughs> I'm not great. Um, I'm very, very fortunate. Again, got an amazing um, radiographer in Jersey. Nick Dodd's amazing has put this um, device in my arm. Um, and I think it's a port. And, you know, this is how me underestimating the seriousness of all of this. And I go along to the um, theatre thinking it's just a not a big procedure. And there's seven people in there. And I'm thinking, are you, are you all here for me? And um, yeah, they put they put this device in my arm. So it has been a bit of a game changer. When I go along now, they they literally just um, prick the device and it's attached to uh, one of my veins, which is um, quite deep and attached straight to my heart. And it means that the medicine, can, the chemo can go straight into the best veins in my body. So um, from that perspective, it's very good. I just want to just want to talk about um, losing your hair because it is a bracken thing because we all seem to be losing our hair. And, and I guess really... How's that been for you emotionally? I mean, you've got some lovely stories about getting wigs and stuff, but I guess when you lose your hair with cancer, it's a bit of an advert that you're not well. I mean, have you struggled with it? Have you sort of learned to, have you just got started to get used to it? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I wear my cap with the hair and that's more for the kids really. Um, when I fly over to England and I'm driving all over England, I don't wear it. And then I walk into the shop and I put it on and then I take it. I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit of a farce. It's a bit ridiculous. Let, let's just see the, the, the sort of, the thing you've got at the moment. You've got a cap with a wig on, which is, you look quite cool with that, by the way. It looks really good. Uh, probably a bit embarrassing going through airports when they say, excuse me, can you take your uh, cap off? That, that's happened to you, hasn't it? Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, Jersey has been amazing. I've just asked them if I can not take it off and they've just been really kind and said, yeah, sure. But I didn't expect the same reception when I came through Heathrow or Gatwick, but they have be, all been absolutely amazing. But I guess I, I am still being scanned. So I'm very fortunate that um, 
yeah, I haven't had to take it off and sort of then put my hair back on. You look really, really pretty, but you might want to keep it. Oh, well, they do say it can grow back curly and different colours, so we'll see. What? So you could come back a different colour completely? Completely, yeah. So tell us about tell us about the sort of wig. I know you went to, to great lengths to sort of, you knew you wanted to look good, so you, Jane and yourself, decided to try and get a wig. I just figured I'd just cut my hair really short and then I would um, go for a wig. Um, so that was what I decided, but I hadn't realised that I should keep my hair while I went into the hairdressers. So um, I had my chemo. Um, the, the hospital gave me a list of four or five um, salons to to go for. I just picked a random name, and um, I could get in the next, you know, on the following Tuesday. And um, as it turned out, that morning I felt absolutely terrible. I was really struggling to get out of bed. The cancer was really, the chemo was really attacking me, attacking my joints. I was getting this heavy leg syndrome. And I really was not feeling great. Anyway, Jane um, was picking me up and um, managed to get me out of bed and into her big car. And we drove we drove to the to the salon, which happened to be a sort of very small salon, which had a, a door a front door which um, opened up onto the pavement. But within that was one chair where they um, obviously styled hair, and then there was the sink, one sink at the back. So it was a pretty small place. Um, but she decided to park right on the pavement right outside lights flashing blocking all the light got out of the car with her dog and myself and we, we you know as we entered he was sort of a bit like you know who are you so I was a bit disappointed that he had a clue who we were and I was thinking you know how many people have you got to be to be talking to about wigs today but anyway um so in we went and Jane was fully intending on leaving the car on the pavement lights flashing and um, he eventually asked her to politely to move it which she she off she went and did and um he was then cutting a chap's hair and the the chap recognized me and started talking to me about a race that we'd been in and um, how he was trying to chase me down and I was a bit I was was really wasn't really wasn't in the mood for this kind of conversation was really surprised to be seeing anybody that I might have known and um he probably thought I was quite rude but I, I didn't mean to be I just didn't feel that well so I sat in the back seat and I had the dog and the the stylist was getting a bit irritated with the dog um which which I can understand but he finished off um having treating the sorry seeing the guy and kept coming over to me saying you know what are we doing today what you know what we what are we doing and I was thinking oh no he's he thinks he's going to cut my hair I don't want him to cut my hair I want to I want my hairdresser who I see at home, Adele, to come and cut it from the roots and we can give it to the Princess Trust, which is an amazing charity that give real hair, make wigs for, uh, and they give them to children. Um, and I was panicking that he was thinking he was cutting my hair. So right from the start, we're on a completely, completely different page. So he goes back and he's um, getting rid of the guy and he's, you know, hair blow drying the floor to get rid of, the, to get rid of all the hair from the guy. And Jane eventually comes back. So we're having a three-way conversation, which he's kind of, slightly struggling with and he sort of says to me again you know what are we doing so at that time I have a picture of pink the singer on my phone and I'm saying I'm gonna you know I want the pink look to which he says um you know I don't have any pink wigs so I'm like uh, okay um so eventually he gets me into the seat and he's a bit confused I'm a bit confused Jane starts talking to him she's saying to him you know where where do we get the um the headscarves from where do you where do you buy them from so he's like oh you know just get on the internet you know stop talking to me and he's kind of says eventually says look I can't have two conversations with both of you you're both you know this is it was just obviously irritating him so he eventually says to sister Jane can you actually um could you actually take that dog for a walk can you could you actually would you actually mind leaving basically so Jane's little face you can imagine it wasn't too happy and and I I sort of piped up and I was like actually actually I'd like her to stay um you know I needed the support I didn't feel I didn't know if I was going to be sick I didn't know 
I just didn't feel very well. It was four days after my chemo. And um, so then he says again, you know, so then he says, oh, what's, what's the budget? And I was like, well, I've, I've no idea. I've, I've no idea what the budget is. I don't know how much wigs cost. So then he starts playing with my hair and he's like, look, you can't have a haircut. Like, you can't have a hairstyle like this. You're not going to look like Beyonce this year. I was like, well, didn't know I looked like Beyonce anyway. But um, okay, well, you know, if it's too big and longer, you know, I don't really know what the options are, but, you know, talk me through them. So then he says, well, what are you looking for? So I could then pick out the picture of pink. And Pink's hairstyle is her short haircut, shaved at the side, quiff at the top, but it's all white in this picture. So he says, "What are you going to dye it?" So I'm like, "Are you like? Obviously, we're not going to dye my hair." So I'm just like, "This is just we're just in the completely different conversations here." So um, he then looks back at Jane and says something else about Jane, and I just decide actually, do you know, I don't need to be here. I'm going to leave. Right, Jane, Jane, actually, just let's go. So I stand up walk out of his salon start walking down the street I'm just like bye you know I'm like yeah. swearing at him and um Jane's like tottering back after me and she doesn't like confrontation at all you know I'm quite happy with confrontation she's like the opposite and he comes down and he's like I'm sorry I'm sorry I had a really bad day you know my client before his granny died or something like that I was like oh my god and so he's shouting at me we're having this comical scene in the street and then he's like you've got my hair clip <laughs> So Jane comes running down the street, can have the hair clip, takes the hair clip back and gives it back to him. So that was my first win. What, what happened with the, the next one? Who came up with that one? So this is great, isn't it? This is, um, it's called Hair Cube. They sell amazing wigs online. And um, another lady I'd met in an oxygen tank who um, just looks absolutely like she's not going through chemo whatsoever um, has got a variety of wigs and she'd been and had one actually made in London looked absolutely unbelievable so I was like I'm gonna have one of those so I booked myself in to go to London also a big effort you know get on a plane get myself there and um, my mum came with me which was nice and um, I went into this the most amazing salon you've ever been to this is all they do is you know make literally make these wigs and um they, yeah, they made mine out of temple hair. So the women in India whose hair grows down to the floor cut their hair off and donate it to the temples as a, you know, as a gesture, as a gift. And so this salon manages to get it and they make the most amazing wigs. It was unbelievable. So they basically sewed a, a net onto my head and then they sewed the strands of hair all into the, the net and it looked unbelievable. But then the heat wave came and I have I had to get in the sea because I, I love the sea. And then I realised it was curly. The wig, the actual hair was curly. And I just found it really hard to manage. So I had to take the whole thing off and I haven't been able to put it back on again. I, I think the next episode would be really good to just talk about the family dynamic and about, you know, how they've coped with it all. I had a lovely story last week when, um, you know, about Georgie and, and about you telling Georgie, your youngest, about, about her. So let's finish off with that lovely story. Yeah. Um, Georgie, unfortunately, gets completely covered in mosquito bites, but then she does react to them, but then also, like, really scratches them. So she's got, like, you know, scars all over her body, and um, it's really hard to help her, you know. With Anyway, so I st- decided to say to her one day, look, if you, if you keep scratching them, I'm going to take my hat off in public, you know, when you're at tennis or when you're at, you know, when you're the horse and, and so she's like, oh, no, please don't do that. Please don't, I'll stop. But you know, it's a bit of a laugh. She's, um, realized that she's, so she keeps looking at me when she catches herself scratching and, um, it actually blew off at the horses the other day. It was quite funny. Everyone kind of laughed and, um, yeah, it was quite a comical moment. Um, 
but yeah, so back to telling telling the kids and telling Georgie, Georgie in particular, about the diagnosis. Um, we had told the boys and we had a weekend away. It was Harvey's 18th and they all knew and she didn't. And I'd woken up at sort of two or three in the morning and um, read lots of things about, um, you know, you must tell your children, you know, it doesn't matter how old they are. They can be very, very young. You still need to sort of explain to them that you're sick and they need to feel part of it. They can't, it can't be a surprise, you know, especially if things take a turn for the worse. So I was reading all this and I thought, right, we'll just have one last day of, you know, not telling her. And um, she and I then ended up um, on our own together, flying back together. And I thought, right, this, this is the time to sort of say to her. So I said, look, um, Georgie, um, you know, mum wasn't well last year. And her little face dropped. Because I sort of said, well, like, you know, I'm not, I'm, uh, I'm not well again. And her little face, I mean, it was just, she was heartbroken. And I said, but listen, I really, really don't want you to worry. And she was like, well, why are you telling me if you don't want me to worry? Oh, wow. How clever. So I was like, okay, well, that was the end of that conversation. So I was like, fair enough. So I think it was about two or three days later, I still felt bad that she kind of didn't know. And I was plaiting her hair for school and I said, um, listen, you know, whatever comes your way in life, whether it's good or bad, um, I know I know you'll be able to deal with it. And she said, what do you mean? How do you know that? How do you know I'll be able to deal with it? And I said, well, because you've come from me. And she said, but you keep getting sick. <laughs> I mean, do you know what? Kids, they sometimes say it as they see it. The difficult thing is when I was um, ill last year, she eventually said when I was better, she said, somebody told me you had cancer, but I told them you had concussion. <laughs> so I know. So I kind of um, didn't really correct her and didn't think it was right or appropriate or fair. So um, not that we're keeping the word away from her or that she's hidden from anything. She's very much part of the family and we'll talk about whatever we need to talk about whenever. Um, but yeah, she she knows what she knows. She knows I'm having treatment and um, we've had an amazing summer. I've had, a, I've had a lot of time, especially with Georgie. Um, and you know, she's, I think she's had the best summer ever. Um, yeah, but it has had its, it has had its toll on the family. Um, it's definitely taken its toll on my eldest, probably the most. He's really struggled Um really struggled with it he lost a very good friend of his when he was nine and so I think he expects that um yeah that I won't make it but I'm telling him I'm doing everything I can so you're just exuding this positivity about that you're going to live and that you're going to survive and I, I, that's lovely for us to hear because when we feel that you've got hope that we have hope yeah yeah, yeah I, I, I have I'm very positive about it I do have a vision of a a 90-year-old lady in the sea, and I think that will be me. Well, listen, it's been wonderful talking to you again. Um, next week, I'm going to have to bring the shades when we start talking about the family, so that might be a bit, 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 a bit difficult. But um, good luck. Let's open up next week with the results of the scan, and, and, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, that uh, it will be what you're expecting. Enjoy getting the best out of Georgie and taking off the, uh, the wig to anywhere. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. 